Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with SAIT Corporate Training. A huge thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. 40% of people globally are considering leaving their employer before the end of the year, according to a 2021 survey conducted by Microsoft. Whether you're a senior leader, a manager, or an individual contributor, hearing that stat for the first time, it's going to get your attention. For me, aside from freaking me out a little bit, the first question I had to ask myself is why? Well, let's be honest. It's been 18 months of the pandemic, and many of us are left unfulfilled and looking for change. It's maybe tied to lack of perceived advancement in your careers over the past year, or by organizations being in survival mode versus growth mode, or simply being, quote-unquote, locked in our houses for the last 18 months. We're looking for something different, and we're look, more importantly, we're looking for change. No matter what the reason, I think we're about to turn the corner to what is going to be the greatest economic opportunity of the past century. Are we ready? Since its founding in our province over 100 years ago, SAIT has been at the leading edge of what our citizens and companies need to be competitive locally and on the global stage. To find out more what they can do for you as an individual or as an organization, check them out at state.ca slash corporate training, or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly, craig.hess, H-E-S-S, at state.ca. He'd love to chat with you, walk you through your needs, and more importantly, how they can help. Hello and a warm collisions YYC welcome to Mr. Rick Makos. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing fine, Tyler. Thanks for thanks for oh, having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, you know, Rick, this, thanks for joining me on an episode of Beyond the Echo. We love to reach out beyond beyond our borders because I tend to talk to a lot of Calgarians. And you know what? We we're a little bit biased. We're pretty much we're we're pretty all in on on our city. And maybe that's also just the guests I happen to have on. But you're calling in for Toronto, and the reason you and I got well, we got connected through a mutual friend, which is how the world works. But you've recently taken on the role as regional director services North America East and managing director Toronto. And yes, I'm reading this right off your LinkedIn profile. At Alta ML, an amazing, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, Alberta, Alberta story. So, you know, congratulations on the new role. And uh, t- t- tell me a little bit about your, your point of view. How did you how did you find your way into into that seat? Let's start with that. Yeah, for, first off, I'm super excited about uh, the prospects at uh, Alta ML and very cool company. And, and you know, I think I think I selected them as much as they selected me. I mean, it's uh, you know, and I'll, I'll give you some more background on that, but. Uh, yeah, I, I've been uh, in the analytics business uh, pretty well my whole life, you know, with uh, a company called Teradata and then a company called Angos Software in the, you know, predictive analytics space. And and then on the data side for, you know, you know looking at things like privacy uh, and then did a stint in the industrial IoT, industrial 4.0 space with a company called Close to Integration. And they uh, these companies got acquired and uh, I decided not to go along with a lot of the transactions. And um was really looking for a good Canadian company. I wanted to get back into AI. I was consulting, you know, on growth strategies for some small, medium-sized companies in the in the in the tech space, and um, was really looking to get into AI as one of the and machine learning in, in, a, in a big way. But wanted to pick the right company. I wanted to be Canadian-based. I wanted to be have this, the right kind of ethics. I believe in responsible AI. I believe in privacy. I think those are all good businesses. And then. Wanted to pick the right culture, and, and uh, as as I engaged in the, I guess recruitment process at uh, Alta ML, all those th- all those things came, uh, you know, aligned for me. And and uh, and uh, what Corey and, and Nicole have built is, uh, you know, not only a great culture, but a, a great a great company and a great model. So. Um, you know, those things really attracted me to Alta ML. Yeah. yeah. So when you, when you were out on the hunt, kind of looking for it, I heard I heard loud and clear Canadian company was one of the key criteria. And you know, they 
UltaML has a great story in Calgary, and I think it's you know relatively well known, or certainly for the people that are in that sector, they've done a great job and they've got a lot of publicity. When you look across the Canadian landscape, is there other companies doing what they're doing the way they're doing it? Like you know, it feels pretty unique, but also I haven't personally been exposed to a lot of other options. So what like what did you find out there specifically in the Canadian landscape? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. They were either software companies that were um, looking to invest in AI in a very specific. Um, Call it a vertical or sometimes a, a sub-vertical of of of, uh, of 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 an industry, you know. For example, um, merchandising in, in in retail, for example, which I think is obviously a good opportunity. But they were, you know, super focused on that, um, and and they were just focused on that software. What what I like about um, you know the the AltML model, they're not only working with clients to solve problems in applied AI, but also looking for opportunities to commercialize. Some of that IP either in partnership with the customer. So the, the idea of this applied AI studio, uh, I mean, is a really, really cool concept because that really, uh, and then they incubate it and then, you know, spin it off either in partnership or, or, uh, um, you know, themselves in the case of, you know, a couple of things. I think they've got, uh, Sylvester.ai. They have, uh, you know, Jessup, which is this legal, um, AI enabled search product for the legal industry. Uh, so that intrigued me because I like to work with companies that want to scale. Okay. So the fact that they have this incubation kind of aspect is is something I think quite unique. So everybody else is either all in on services or all in on a very specific product. So I think the model is quite unique. And then uh, the fact that it could, it, you know, there's potential to build up a fairly significant community, um, not only with uh, the people that we touch, but also in the, the software they're going to create and the services is, is just a unique opportunity in my opinion. So I don't think it, I personally, my opinion is there's not a company like it right now. Interesting. And that's often the two business models of picking something and really niching it and specializing versus specializing or being the company that's the thought leader on kind of the AI and ML and all the things, but then going in and applying it into different sectors, the cross learning, the networking, like you said, it feels a little bit like a bigger, it's a bigger nut to crack, but when you do the exponential growth and the potentially to scale that and take what you learn in one area and apply it to other, and, and you know, the learnings do, I'm assuming are transferable, but it, it's no small undertaking. Just to, like, I'm just feeling the weight of like what you talk about. It makes me excited. The ADD in me goes, okay, this sounds really exciting, but that's a lot of, yeah. you got a lot of lifts going on at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think, I think they've been, they've been smart about what they're investing in, you know, the, how, how they do it in partnership or joint venture. Um, but I, I think, you know, mine is, you know, I just look at a few things after being here, you know, about four weeks now, you know, like the legal search stuff. I, I can see that being applied to another opportunity that we're working in the Canadian government that's looking to do a similar thing in the competition side of, of their business. Um, there's um, um, in that same in that same vein, there's uh, potentially even, um, you know, some some things with Alpha Layer, which is on the investment side that might apply to this opportunity to to build a solution. So. I, I see a lot of adjacencies for some of the stuff, and I'm pretty sure that that's not by by accident <laughs> yeah. for Corey and 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 uh, and uh, Nicole. So uh, yeah, so it, 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 and just for it a very and what's also unique is it's applied AI, right? It's applied machine learning, but a lot of people are doing predictive analytics and you know uh, advanced analytics, but not very many people are applying it. You know, I've certainly learned that in the manufacturing industry where. Uh, I think close to 93% of the models that they build, predictive models and, and machine learning models, don't get deployed. Not, um, not, because sorry, it's wait, hard to deploy. Not 93% don't get deployed. That's a pretty that's a pretty staggering number because that's a lot of yeah, investment inside that 93%. <laughs> yeah, because I, I you know it's because it, it, it's hard, right? You think about it. I'm I'm applying it in a factory that needs uh, 
you know, a, a digital twin to test it to make sure if I'm going to change a bunch of set points along a factory line, if I'm making aerospace parts, I got to make sure that once I hit go on the machine learning or go on the AI, that's going to be, you know, done in a an automated learning and, and deployment standpoint, it's got to work, right? So I think it's just harder. So I think the tools have got caught, had to catch up, and I think we're there. But so what's cool about, again, you know, AltML is they've, you know, the 90 plus engagements that where they've, you know, 200 plus customers, 90 plus deployments are applied AI. So they're applying it within the constraints of someone's business, which is not easy. So they've got a quite the cadre. I, I don't even think there's big consulting firms that in the big six that can, can say that they've been successful that many times with happy customers. I mean, we're at a 70%, you know, NPS score, which is, as you know, that score is a brutal score. So it 70% is. is quite high. Especially when right? you're doing something that is innovative and different and requires a significant amount of change. Like there's no, there's no, because you think about the, you know, you're right. You're not, you guys aren't just creating things on your own. You're interacting with different cultures, different organizations, different companies and all of yeah. their stuff, AKA people and history. And this is the way we've always done it. Why, would, why are we doing it this new way? <laughs> yeah. And change management is, is probably something that we, we need to uh, get better at, or at least have uh, partnerships to, mm-hmm. to figure out. I mean, I've done this in a, in a previous life. In fact, I remember Nicole and I were talking about this when she was interviewing me that, we did a, a profitability analytic in the banking world, and um, it was really commendable. This one bank said, you know, we're going to take 15% of this project and make sure we're investing that in change management because they were moving from product-based profitability to account-based and customer-based profitability and all the compensation and behavioral modes that you want out of that. So, you know, a huge move from a bank to say, hey, we're mortgage-focused to, no, we're, we're focused on these customers, Product, right? Product-centric so and bottom-line-centric versus the, 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 it truly investing in your biggest variable, which is often your people, not your technology. <laughs> yeah, so, so again, you know, even just saying that, I, like I've done that a number of times uh, because some of the things I've done in the past were quite had a, quite a big impact on organizations to say, hey, you know, set some money aside. It may not be us, you know, because I don't have any – Organizational change manager, I can I can connect you with people, but set some money aside to make sure that you properly invest in the people to, uh, you know, ingest this change correctly for the organization. So, when it comes to kind of Toronto versus Calgary, just the simple, I don't, I don't want to say the words east versus west, because it's not it's not versus, but you've had a lot of you know you're based you're based out in the east, and curious when you look at or when you interact with companies and you engage with companies, kind of in that first whole conversation about an engagement does it how does it differ like what's what's the world like when you walk in into that boardroom and it's the first couple meetings in eastern canada versus western canada like what, what do you see as differences pluses minuses just or you know more importantly what can we all learn from each other yeah you know what i think i think uh, in my my approach is um i've got a lot of great connections in history just personally in in you know edmonton and calgary so um <clears throat> my approach has been to not talk about it, right? So I basically talk about this great company. Now it's, you know, with, they got Alberta in their name, so they know where it's yeah. from. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I really focus on this is what we do. We talk about the, the, the models, the business models they have and the value they've generated for people. So the conversation usually, and the fact, you know, you're dealing with uh, a company that's connected in two of the biggest AI corridors in, in North America, one in Calgary, Edmonton, and one here in, in you know, the <clears throat> Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal corridor. So, um, it goes away pretty quickly. I mean, I, I, I tend to, you know, when I, when I sell, um, clients, um, I tend to focus on the success we've had and the value we've generated. And, and basically then, then it's a talk about, well, how do we, how do you execute? And here are various models from, you know, pure services to the applied AI lab to the AI lab that we could implement within a company. And they all seem to be 
really intrigued with both the, the latter. They, they understand the services piece and what differentiates is, is what we've done and the value we've created. But the two lab approaches really, really one that's more community based and government and, you know, um, like we're, what we're doing in the AI labs in, um, in, uh, Western Canada with, uh, you know, uh, uh, ATB and all the, all the, uh, the university and the government all being involved mm-hmm. as well as our partners. Uh, they are, they're intrigued with that because AI talent is, uh, a big issue, right? And if you can get them to work on real, real projects to get them to learn, that's the best way to learn. I think, uh, the research I did just prior to taking the job was there's about 10,000 true AI people globally. Right. Oh wow! And I was surprised I, that I, number's I, I that low. I heard right? that number on a global scale. It's a couple different research. Um, I'm averaging out. You know, it's a couple different, um, you know, papers that I've seen, and, and uh, I was surprised that number's that low. But it feels like it's right. You know, because like, it's, uh, you know, we're at the crest of this wave, and, and and I think a lot of people, despite having good maturity in AI, realize that talent's a big problem. So we, let's let's put some creative things in place. Uh, and, and again, kudos to uh, you know. Celia and, and uh, Nicole and, and uh, Corey, they figured that out because they've, they've got a, a model that actually helps lift up the whole community. And again, another reason why I'm there, right? They're not just worried about themselves and, and their own profit. They're trying to lift up the whole community in general with uh, skills and, and talent, right? Well, as an organization, I can only imagine looking for these types of services and having a probably a pretty quickly getting an idea that these talent, this talent pool is scarce and companies that have good track record, like you said, proof of showing applied value it probably goes away really quickly where you are. Like that's, that's a nice to have. It's, a, it's not a have to have. It's like, do you have the talent? Do you have the track record? doesn't really matter where your address is or where, or where you lay your head kind of mindset. Correct. You're hundred percent right. And it, would you, yeah. yeah. And would you, so back to even just the differences, do you see any differences with companies and their willingness to try things? You know, it's often been said that, you know, Albertans are very entrepreneurial, maybe a bit maverick from time to time, willing to try things. You know, where sometimes back east things are a little bit slower or there's a little more, there's a few more layers to wade through and those types of things. Have you noticed anything different uh, in that way? Because as Albertans, we like to pride ourselves as being pretty like, I'll just be blunt, get her done kind of kind of culture. But I spent a lot of time back east and I knew a lot of people that got shit done there too. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, it, certainly there's some, there's some, um, you know, speed to, to value that's, I think, a little quicker in, in, in the West. Um, you know, and, and because we have some, you know, large mega major accounts here, whether it's major retailers, major financial institutions from banks to insurance companies to, uh, you know, some fairly large government entities such as Ontario and, and, uh, and, uh, the federal, they, 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 they have policies and procurement procedures that, that you just got to go through, right? Um, I, I never, so, so let's say they're a little slower. I'm just going to use little right now. Um, and, and, um, again, um, I've used techniques to get shared expectations on understanding that, that procurement process, understanding how they make decisions and getting shared expectations on dates and actions. So, you know, I, you know, my team and I have always really compressed as much as you can, right? Those things. So I've never really, I, I would, I wouldn't say that they're, I just say they're a little slower because they have these very chunky procurement cycles because they're just bigger. Um, and then, but, but from an innovation standpoint, I, I, I'd say it's pretty well equal. I mean, you know, there's big institutions, I had, you know, one of the biggest banks here in, in, in Canada. Well, been the biggest globally as a customer for about ten years. And the people I dealt with, we, me and my big, my, my executive sponsor agreed. Hey, we're gonna, you and I are gonna agree on three 
innovative shifts each. I'll do, th- you do three for me, I'll do three for you, and we'll push each other, right? And I thought, and that, and I was, and we built that right into our plans, right? And then I, you know, I, I lifted and shift that to all my teams to say, hey, go have this conversation and get into this innovation dialogue. So uh, I would say that there was always really high interest to say, hey, you push me to change and I'll change to help you innovate and you do this and I'll do the same for you. So those conversations always went well. So um, I, you know, I, just, I just think it's more of a perception. And the problem is it just, you know, they, they're always working with bigger dollars, so it just t- takes longer to go through those procurement cycles, right? So, Talking down that vein a little bit, when you think about AI and ML, is there a barrier for smaller to mid-sized companies just because – they're smaller, maybe don't have the resources. I've heard people say both that actually no, sometimes smaller companies have a better handle on their data and have more and a smaller and larger being kind of perspectives. Uh, but you know, when you see opportunities and with you know what you guys are doing and the kind of companies you're talking to, is there any type of a size or is there real like what an enterprise is going to how they're going to approach applied AI and machine learning versus an SMB? Does it change a lot and kind of what what does that landscape look like going forward? You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, we had. Um you know, I certainly had customers like the, you know, the Loblaws of the world and, and Hudson's Bay and, and, uh, uh, interesting enough in that, uh, the one that moved the fast was Giant Tiger, right? So, you know, completely different size retailer. I mean, I mean, so, and they did some innovative stuff. So, um, you know, and, and they had a pretty good handle on what their data was and what their challenges were. You, when you get into some of these bigger companies, I think some of the, the organizational issues of silos have just, just, you know, bloated even further, right? Um, so, so, um, yeah, it, it's sometimes easier and some of these small companies have a good high, uh, you know, and, and they can, you know, jump the curb and create some value and get ahead of some of these big guys very quickly. Um, but once you actually, uh, get to some of these big ships moving, you know, like a, a Royal Bank or a CIBC or a TD, um, they start to see the value in reuse because reuse has a reuse of data, for example, if I can reuse it from marketing to risk to, to fraud, um, all of a sudden, you know, that, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Once they get on that train, you know, let me see. I can, I can spend $100,000 on a new piece of analytics, and you already have the data, and I just got to get 20% more of the data for another $200,000. I'm just I'm probably being dramatic on these numbers for the audience. Uh, or am I going to spend $2.5 million on a brand-new system? Uh, you know, reuse is the way to go. So once they get on that train, they really, they really get it, and then it, I would say – as they uh, accelerate to the back end of those things, they, they're probably a little faster than some of the, the smaller people. Once, once, you, once you get that ship, big ship pointed in the right direction, get it kind of get it spool, yeah. spooled up, yeah. if, if you will. Hmm. Yeah, because, you yeah. know, there, there's politics and past vendor relationships and, and all this stuff in these it's big accounts, right? So, you know, sometimes the air is uh, the, the color of uh, of the vendor that they, they you know, you're going, well, there's an interesting color to the air. It's, uh, well, it's... It's that, you know, it's blue or red. Or, yes, yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's who's been there you know for the I mean? last 10 years, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, and, and but that's, you know what, I, I don't uh, I don't view those as barriers. Those are, no's for me are opportunities, right? And I think, uh, you know, and that's probably a, a unique thing in the West, right? I don't think uh, anybody in the West views no's as a, a barrier. They view them as opportunities, right? <laughs> I, I find that pretty, pretty interesting as well, where there's a lot of people here who go, oh, I got to know, I'm going to move on, but, you know. Um, you know, I think that's something that the, the Western culture has taught me. And that was just an opportunity to, to do something different. Right? There is a level of tenacity so. and, and kind of like, well, let's let's win together. Let's find a solution. And maybe maybe I don't have, but I know somebody who needs you and that kind of a thing. When it comes to technology deficit, are you seeing, are we catching up in the sense that, you know, some of these applied AI and machine learning, you've got to be at a certain level, you know, whether it's your data or 
even understanding your workflows enough to layer that in. And I've had a few guests on, they're like, oh, you know, a lot of companies are still dealing with this, like, a true deficit before they can really start op- taking opportunity and optimizing for the future. So when you're dealing with companies at this level, do you end up kind of end up going backwards before you go forward? And this is just maybe talking broadly about AI and machine learning as we're applying these new technologies across multiple industries. You know what? The data is always the problem, right? Or always the opportunity, right? I mean, um, I always, always talk about this is that, People are always saying, well, where, where's the value in the analytics or in the data, mm-hmm. right? Every customer is going to have a very unique set of data that you will collect to do the analytics, right? You know, in fact, I've seen very different deployments of data in two different banks and two different insurance companies, even though they're, you know, largely selling the same kind of products, right? Uh, same thing with retailers, how Walmart uses data and how, you know, Target uses data. In fact, they have the same data warehouse from the same vendor. They used to work for them. But how they actually deploy that and how they've changed the value chain of the, the, the industry, the business they're in, are very different, you know. And we can tell stories about So it really is about the data. And the people that figure out that fast is that I'm going to create this 360 view, unique version of my business and then start doing analytics off that. The sooner they get there, the better, right? Now, and then it, that used to be a hard thing to do. There's so many technologies that make that easy now, and I, you know, because I've been in the data business for long, I may be trivializing it a little bit, but again, I'm probably being trying to be a little bit provocative for the audience. It, getting the data together is really not the issue; it's getting the people and the mindset together that's the hard, the hard back issue. Back right? to it's the an, back to the change system. management piece, right? Yeah, it's it's not so much that I don't think it's a technology deficit so much as it is a a, a, a deficit on. A knowledge on what technology can do for them to help their business. I mean, I see this in government here in Canada. I see this in some big corporations and, you know, those, those politics and vendor relationships kind of, uh, come first sometimes rather than, um, you know, uh, or, or let's say, let's say come first are hard to shrug, shrug off because they, they have the, this perception that's much harder than this. But good news is with open source technology, open source analytics available, um, you know, getting that data together in a usable, you know, unique, um, um, say, collection for the for these institutes is, is much easier than it used to be. Right? Is is AI machine learning? Are we on that same? You know, whether it's Moore's law or whatever kind of factor you want to do of like every year, and even our world as marketers, you know, kind of the low code, no code, and you need developers for less things now because you can literally pull things off a shelf. Mm. You're 10 years old using Roblox to build your own video game piece by piece off the shelf. I'm assuming everything in technology is going that way, including, you know, hearing you talk. Even a couple of years ago, this conversation around getting to data, data together wouldn't have sounded as, as um, less daunting as you just portrayed it as. That's probably the most positive I've ever had it portrayed on the show <laughs> right there. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, th- I think it is going to accelerate. I think you're going to see more open source uh, analytics available for people. Mm-hmm. I think the... Um, Automation of, of the, uh, the integration of the data and the, and the, and the, uh, data pipelines that can be oriented towards a specific analytical problem are going to increase, right? Um, so I think it's all going to accelerate. I mean, whether it's going to be, you know, the doubling, um, that we see, um, you know, doubling of, uh, I guess, say speed and, and time to market and, you know, in the Intel world, like the chip world. And then the halving of cost. I'm not. I'm not quite sure that's going to happen, but it's going to be. It's going to be close um, you know, as we get the, up that maturity scale. Because um, I'm I, we're really only at the very beginning of the crest of this wave. It hasn't quite quest, crested, right? So we're we're I think right at the beginning of it. That's why I think that it's such a great opportunity. If I have any complaints about Canada, I mean the supercluster programs have been great. They put some good investments into certainly the AI quarter with with uh, 
you know, scale AI, the digital supercluster in Vancouver, all the various, you know, um, protein cluster and the, uh, you know, forestry and, and fisheries cluster. Great, great moves to, to get into digit, digitizing those industries. You know, 1.5 billion was a very small start, you know, uh, Mr. Trudeau. In case he's listening, in case he's listening. I mean, you know, one program in the States, the SBIR program, which I think we're trying to emulate in the SIF fund, Strategic Innovation Fund, which is like a couple hundred million or a hundred million. SBIR is 17 billion in the States, not just one government, you know. So, I mean, I think, I think if you're, you know, if you, if you want my vote, you know, double or triple that and keep it going, right? Because I think, I think Canada has a unique opportunity that has now been built. So, um, if, if, uh, if you want our economy to change and, and, uh, uh, invest in this. I mean, the, our government should really put some more money down, right? So, because I, I think if you look at scale, I, you know, and, and um, you know, um, um, you know, uh, Ivado and all the other ones, all the other stuff, the folks at uh, out west. I mean, everybody's done good. I think been good, you know, harbingers of that money, and they've uh, created some pretty interesting companies and, and opportunities, right? We need to so. keep fueling that fire. When you look globally, who is who's who's leapfrogging? Like who's like there's where people are, but you talked about the U.S. Is is there other jurisdictions that you look to and go, wow, okay, they they said they're going all in, and they actually did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I look at uh, I guess there's a, a similar super cluster for food in um, in the uh, Netherlands area, right? In, the, in that Dutch grouping of, of, uh, of countries, I mean, they've done, I, I didn't realize this, it's, I forget, I, I want to say, I don't know, I can't remember if it's 2% or, ten, or, or 10% of the food goes through, you know, the, 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 the corridor there of global food, right? And so, I mean, they've done a nice job digitizing the supply chains, digitizing uh, the business there. So I think, I think you, you can look to some of the Netherlands and Holland and what they've done on, I'd say, digitally enabling a big part of their business. So I think, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think looking globally, if you look at healthcare and what NHS has done with the yeah. single view of the business and spinning off Babylon health and that kind of stuff uh, as, as remote health. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, people that are ahead of us in certain um, sectors for sure. And that we could look to as best practices, you know, with NIH and health and, and uh, you know, the, the Rotterdam kind of super cluster, if you want to call it, I don't know if that's the right name for it. Uh, and food, they've done a nice, a nice job as well. So, so you mentioned earlier retail. When you look at sectors across Canada, when you're even looking at businesses that you would approach and talk to, how would they stack rank? Like, who is it? You know, the financial sector, the food sector, the ag, resource sector. Who, who, who do you see? Like, we're back on our on our home on our home turf here. And, yeah, well, and does it change? Let's, let's talk about the. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it changes east to west. Okay, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about east. Um, so certainly here our focus is, you know, talking to, looking at the major banks, major retailers, um, um, telecommunications, manufacturing, those kind of are the top four. <clears throat> we have health as, as, as kind of a tied for fourth right now because we've got a, um, a, a number of opportunities in, in the, um, in the federal government <clears throat> working on some, uh, you know, locally here in Ontario. So those would be the, the top five in, in order, if you want to call it that. And that's, and we've, we're going to do the top 100 accounts and start there and really focus on what that looks like. And because we think focus is important and, and my uh, compatriots here are going to split up those industries. So we hopefully have one or two and then we'll, we'll make sure we're very focused. Obviously when you go West, it changes to resource, it changes to forestry, it changes to uh, more agricultural in nature. Um, I think agriculture has an opportunity here. We're, we're going to be a little bit opportunistic mainly because not, not because we don't think it's a good opportunity. It's resources, right? We're going to um, qualify it and make sure that we we dedicate our, our very um, 
focused set of resources that we have in the company on the right opportunities that will generate business. As soon as you go into the States, it changes, right? So certainly the banks are still number one, but uh, health goes is like number one, number two industry, very close, you know, with very large for-profit, you know, it's a completely, uh, different, completely different model there, right? Right, right. So, so uh, you know, and then you get into retail and telecommunications and manufacturing all. So there's same five, they're just in different order. Right. When it comes to okay. the, what the top one editor looks there. Mm, that makes sense. So that's our, that's our, uh, yeah. And then they'll have some East and West differences as well. So when you go West, there'll be more technology manufacturers. And as you come across Midwest, uh, you know, they're, they're making food and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, parts for cars and that kind of stuff as you get over to the, to the East. So again, all great opportunities. Um, manufacturing could come up to be, you know, the number third industry, depending on, on how, how it goes. But we're going to be very focused on those five industries in both territories, but it'll change a little bit in the U.S. Okay. That's all. And, and that's fine. So listen, we got some great healthcare stories. So okay. We're, I'm looking forward to talking to them about it. Well, listening to you chat, it certainly sounds like certainly from industry, the mindset is there. People are realizing that, that this is accessible. They, they're starting to understand the impact from a workflow. You mentioned it earlier, but just wanted to pivot back to it. Is the limiting factor, like, what is the limiting factor? Is it talent? I'm, I'm drawing my own conclusion here. Like, is that going to be like 10,000 globally? Uh, when you talk about it, man, that seems like that would disappear, like, in a, in a blink of an eye in terms of being engaged on projects. <laughs> I, I think that's part of it, right? I think you got to have a find a way to scale your talent and capability while you're actually doing valuable work, right, for the business, right? That's why the, these AI labs and the applied AI labs uh, that, that Altml I think, are quite unique because mm. you get these cohorts of potentially students, you know, uh, business partners and government partners all and university partners all putting in, you know, cohorts that actually are all going to learn putting, working putting, on real putting problems, skin, skin right? in the game. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and everybody gets lifted up from a, a rising tide of, of – uh, better educated talent, right? Um, or you could do that within a firm, you know, within an organization where you do the same thing, except you're, you're, you're getting your own internal people, our people, and perhaps some, some students that you're bringing into the game that are new graduates that all learn. But you're working on building up your talent while you're doing real work and real applied AI. Again, quite unique, right? Um, and, you know, I'm not completely familiar with all, what all the big six are doing and those things, but it feels, it feels unique to me that, um, that's a good way to actually build up talent while you're uh, going down that path and, and gets you out of pilot purgatory and experimenting all the time because you're actually, you know, our, our methodology will get you to production on a solution or get, get you to uh, some kind of managed solution if that's what you want to do because you don't have enough talent, right? So, well, that sounds like – you said, you said the word earlier, community, and that sounds a lot more – you think of, you know, some of your competitors – they, they're going to want to keep the, the, the kimono probably a lot more closed in terms of what they're developing and what they can add value to versus what I'm hearing. You guys, let's get a whole bunch of people in the room. Let's learn from each other. Let's kind of rising tides kind of philosophy. That's a very, that creates a very different culture than, you know, hiding what you're doing or maybe not wanting to share it so openly because you don't want to lose your competitive advantage where your community creation is your competitive advantage or one of them is what I'm hearing. Well, you know, you'll, you'll create some IP, but, you know, in many cases that IP from an analytics standpoint will be like the analytics are going to be open source for the most part. It's the, the IP of how you get it deployed yeah. and applied within a, within a, a customer or an industry that, that that's the knowledge. And I think I think that you take with you. Right now, you could create a product from that like we do uh, either jointly or, um, you know, um, in partnership with a customer or um as a JV or, or just decide I'm going to take this to market. Right. So, um, but with that said, you're not, 
you know, hopefully you, you, we got the IP rights to basically take it and, and, and actually deploy it ourselves. So that's a, that's all discussions about how a customer wants to deploy things. In many cases, I found in some cases, customers say, hey, I have a an exclusive implementation of this. I'm happy with it. You help us maintain it and deploy it. If you want to take that IP and that knowledge and, and you know, compensate my free in some way, go ahead and do that. We'll figure that out contractually, right? So, I mean, um, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, but, but, Without talent and without people that know how to do this and do it in a, a I call it a prescriptive way, meaning applied to the, applied to your business within the constraints of your business, that's a unique skill set, right? And again, a unique skill set that I think AltML has that uh, other companies don't, right? So. Rick, I enjoy your perspective and, you know, you're, you're clearly a guy that looks, looks up, looks close, looks far, looks near, tries to look around the corner, which I appreciate. You, you opened up with it with two comments that I wanted to maybe finish on or just kind of talk about. Responsible AI and privacy. I've, attended a lot of workshops and uh, talking about AI and talking about some of the concerns around the biases that are baked in and some of the things that when I hear responsible AI, when I think about even diversity and uh, inclusion and some of those things that are obviously top of mind for all companies these days and AI can have heard a lot of is very problematic in those areas, privacy being another one. So maybe curious just even philosophically or professionally, personally, your views around those and where you see, you know, the industry headed and how we make sure that we do not lose our way there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and again, I was looking for a company that was already starting to think about those things, right? Um, because I think, uh, responsible AI or I have a good friend, uh, that, uh, is, is a PhD and he actually says the A in AI is for accountable intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So shout out to Mohammed. He'll, he'll get that if he listens to this <laughs> podcast. Um, uh, you know, I'll give him credit for that. He's a very intelligent man. Um, but he's right. I mean, you know, we have to be accountable for how these are deployed. These, these models are deployed. So it doesn't actually have bias built into it. And you could get a data bias. You could get, you know, hey, I'm not looking at, yeah, I'm not giving anybody loans in the Jane Finch quarter because I don't even pull that data in, right? And, and meanwhile, I mean, you know, you know, so we, you know, perceptions and, and past risk models may actually have bias built into them. So I, I think it's hugely important for us to make sure that we remove all that bias, um, uh, you know, in, from, from these models to make sure that everybody is, is looked at in an equitable way, right, um, in a diverse way. Um, so I think it's good business. I also think privacy is good business, right? I think, you know, you, you, know, you, need, to, uh, you need to respect these global models. I think Canada has a long way to go. I mean, we've got 11 different privacy. I, I don't think we have 11 provinces and territories, but we seem to have 11 different privacy um, um, protocols where, you know, even, even the EU with GDPR can get together and come up with one protocol. So I think we really need to, sort that out here as a, as a country, but it's hugely important, right? It's a good business, right? You know, you know, respecting people's data, you know, you look at what uh, Estonia has done and how they've actually, you know, secured their data, um, given access to, to the, the, to the citizens to control the data. Um, for example, if a pharmaceutical company wants to include your, you in a cohort, they have to get approval from you as a, as a citizen to use the data. So, uh, you know, that doesn't exist here. So I, th- I think we, we, uh, these are important um, capabilities that need to be uh, w- will facilitate the growth of this industry. If we don't sort it out, it won't grow. There'll be too many barriers. There'll be too many. Uh, th- th- there's a complete lack of trust to actually do that, right? So I, I think uh, I think it does give a chance for some trusted intermediaries to do some different things. You know, I don't know if that's going to be a bank or if it's going to be a government. Somebody needs to step in to say we're going to set this up. We're going to we're going to promote. Uh, uh, responsible AI and, you know, privacy and enable, um, 
control of that privacy through the people that own the data, like the consumer or the citizen. So I, I think there's um, still some strides to go there, but I think um, what I like about AltML, they, they believe that it's good business. And there's and we're not unique. I think there's a lot of companies that believe it's good business, and our company does too. Um, but it just takes one one guy running for president and uh, Cambridge Analytica and you know you get some you get some people that decide to push the envelope and all of a sudden it undermines the trust you get a few Netflix specials and we all become armchair experts on how our privacy is being exploited and yeah absolutely and then the pop the, you know then the common belief around that shifts in a very neg- in a very negative direction I think GDPR is such a great example if that group can get together and get aligned then we we don't have any excuses in my opinion Gosh, like yeah. that's a great example yeah. <laughs> Well, I even think, uh, you know, um, despite uh, Brexit, that, um, you know, the UK is still involved in GDPR, if I'm not mistaken, right? I, I mean, believe so, that's the case as well, yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, the fact that they can still, uh, you know, believe that's important, I think, is a testament just, to, you know, of the, of the leaders of those countries. So, yeah, it, you know, I, you know, I'm very hopeful that all the right things are in play for this, mm-hmm. that there's a, a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of uh Organizations, you know, and you know, I, I think people are now realize there's bias built into these things. There's yeah. bias in behavior. I mean, you know, so you know, I'm sure I've been, uh, you know, I, I've not been on the, the receiving end of some bias and some people of color that are, that are friends of my have, and I just don't realize it, right? So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think the conversations going on right now and the efforts are all good conversations. So. And, and I think it's going to make us better as a society and, and, and better as a business. So I'm excited for the future in a positive way yeah. and, and hope that, uh, you know, there's, there's always darkness, right? I forget the song, what the song is. You kick at the darkness until you see some daylight. So I think we just got to keep on kicking to, <laughs> I don't, I don't, to, I don't, to I don't, sure I don't know that, that line, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, I forget the song, but I know it's a song. I'm terrible at it. I like these songs, but I can never name them. So. <laughs> You know, well, we won't. So uh, we I'll, won't. I'll never be. I'll never be on Beach Shazam because I'm terrible at the names. But, uh, <laughs> I like the, I like the music. Well, but, I, I uh, think, yeah, I think, I think. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think there's just you know in my mind with uh, ethical people like uh, you know Corey and Nicole building up these companies that say that hey this is important. And again, one of the one of the big reasons I came here too. I mean, I would actually take less money to come work here because of because of uh, what I see from. Uh, ethics and, and a culture. So. Well, I appreciate that. And living in a world where purpose is driving our decisions. And I think more so than ever, we've been talking about it for years, but I think there's more and more generations now at, at all ages and at all uh, cohorts of, of whatever group they want to allot you in <clears throat> where purpose is a, is a key driver. So to hear that, that kind of um, rooted in that, because again, I run, you don't have to go to, you don't have to attend many AI kind of workshops or talks where that conversation doesn't come up like in the first 10 minutes of like, okay, let's be clear. We have some potential problems if we don't get it under control. Rick, I think you and I could go down this rabbit hole for a while, but really, (laughs) really appreciate your perspective and kind of giving, you know, from global to East to West to obviously how passionate you are about the organization that that you've, that you've joined. I didn't realize it was only four weeks. I didn't know you were that, you were that fresh in the chair. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Rick, what's the best way for people? Simple, I'm assuming LinkedIn and all that. But what's uh, if someone wants to reach out and have a conversation with you, what's the best way? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn work. Um, my email address is uh, rick.makos at altml.com. Um, happy to get in a conversation about uh, how we can help you or, or just have to get a conversation about some of the uh, more interesting concepts of uh, responsible AI and privacy. And uh, would happen, happy, happy to have a chat about that too. So. Thank you, Rick. It was a great chat with you today. Uh, Thanks for an awesome conversation, my friend.